Hello and welcome to Equine Voices Podcast. My name is Ronnie, an intuitive equine communicator. I hope you enjoy this episode and thank you for listening. This is an interview with Justin Dunn, horse trainer from North Carolina, USA. So let's get Justin in and then he can explain what it is he does. My name is Justin and just recently moved from Colorado to North Carolina and we have a American Mustang School, and we preserve the American Mustang, and we promote mental health and wellness. So we do therapeutic activities for our armed military forces, special forces, and veterans. We also extend this program to policemen, firemen, EMT, nurses, and what it is, is horsemanship and allowing the horses to help people heal from any trauma or stresses that they may have accrued through their professions. That sounds really interesting. So I came across you, I can't remember when, quite a few years ago, when I was just looking for just anything Western and horses and natural horsemanship and different things. And I came across your page. And I think it was the horse with Emma and, and Cinnamon, the, the famous one where she was leading through the snow. And then I think Moonshine was your other horse that I came across. So that's how um, I found you. I think it was on YouTube. How old is Cinnamon? Let's see. She was three in 2014. So she's eight? No, 11. She's 11. I think you were showing how to ride in an arena and it was without a bridle and you were sat on your horse and you were doing the steering without actually doing anything with your hands, with the reins. And I was fascinated. It was just such a lovely bond. It was just so nice to see. And I love the fact that you you have your own uh, bitless bridle and you, you promote that as well, don't you? Yeah, we I designed that bridle for my horses to protect them from people that well, they were in my business, trail ride business, that didn't know how to use reins. They would tend to balance on the reins, ride in the mountains of Colorado. I designed the bridle to increase the, the margin of error, so to speak. You know, they wouldn't be able to hurt my horses. I remember you saying that now. And I also, you worked with children on summer camps. You helped those with horses. Would you like to explain a little bit about what you used to do there? Well, what it was is I started the trail ride business in Colorado and didn't have a lot of money. Still don't. So I needed horses to do the trail ride business. And I got a lot of free horses. If you know anything about free horses, there's probably a reason they're free. A lot of well, no. well, I developed a way of training and communicating with horses that kind of launched me into being a horse trainer. So a lot of people in our local area and then all the way across the nation of the United States need to train. And in doing that, I learned that there's some deeper things to horses other than the external part that world mechanical training people see in mechanical training. So the depth that horses would share, I realized, wow, I need to kind of experiment with this. So we started a camp for children with cancer 
And we did that for six years. And I got to really see, witness horses healing people that some of the most beautiful people, that being children, because they're not guarded like adults. You know, they don't have ulterior motives, a lot of baggage, I guess we could call it. And they're really open to the horse's abilities to heal. So I basically just took out a notebook and started taking lots and lots of notes from the horses. I was kind of like the little fly on the wall, like just sitting there, watch the horse, watch the kid, watch the horse, watch the kid. And, and then I developed an understanding. Once you get that understanding, it's hard to explain, but it's one of those things I'm very grateful to be a witness of it. Because the horses are doing things I can't train into them. They're doing things for people that are worthy to receive. But it's through the horse's understanding that they're open to receive it. It's something that has to happen between that human and that horse. I can't create it, and I couldn't even destroy it. It's something that is available. All that I can do is facilitate it to happen. And uh, being able to do that at the cancer camp for six years, it opened more doors to do what we're doing today with the elite special forces of our military and allowing them to come out and tap into that very beauty that I can't create. It's there and available, but it's uh, tough to explain. I get to witness it. So when the veterans come, how does that work? Are they directed to you or is it through advertising? How, how does it work that they get to come to your place and, and experience being with the horses? Well, it's interesting how it worked. In moving here, I didn't even have an idea or an understanding of how it would work. I just knew that I wanted to get somewhere very accessible because in Colorado, I was hard to reach. It was 35 miles from the nearest grocery store. So it was a little tough to reach. I wanted to get somewhere where people could reach me and wanted to be back by the ocean. My wife loved pine trees, and then I also liked the mountains. So North Carolina just seemed to fit. But as the needs aren't really understood, the universe understands. So putting me right here, I couldn't have been in a better location to share with people that need it the most as being right here where our Army Special Forces are pretty much centrally located. I'm 10 minutes from the base. So in just doing some local clinics and newspaper ads, the right people found what we were doing. And to answer your question, probably in the briefest form is, yes, psychologists that were looking for an out-of-the-box type therapeutic activity for people in need reached out to me and came in. We designed we work closely in designing something that is you know, aligns with my beliefs and concepts and fundamentals and horsemanship, but also can cross over to the clinical aspect of therapy, the four walls of clinic, human to human. In developing that, it's proven, you know, it's almost like we're pioneering something. And there's all kinds of horse equine assisted therapies and learnings and all these labels. 
But I designed this one based off of uh, wild mustangs in the mountains of Colorado, uninterrupted by man as much as possible. And I streamlined a method to open that door as quickly as possible for the best benefit of therapeutic advantage and the peripheral benefits to flow organically, so to speak. If we do something like that in the UK, we have to have psychologists. So if you're experienced with horses, you can do that, but you have to have extra training or you have to have like a psychologist work alongside you in case something happens. So that we do have that um, therapy here, but it's, it's a little bit more um, difficult to get into. And it's not usually just sort of one person. It's got to be like a, like a team of people. So we have riding for disabled and where the people with disability can go along and they can ride and they can interact with the horses. And that's really nice to see because you can see a child or, or um, an adult that doesn't communicate with people and then you put them with a horse and they just have an instant bond with them. And you can see the horses interacting with them and they have the, their own communication, which is really nice to see. And you can see them blossoming. Um, what you do must be so rewarding, but also you're helping the trauma that they go through as well as the physical trauma. The really neat thing about what we're doing is there are those programs here that have to have psychologists helicoptering around and have to have a team of people. I streamlined it to where I get out of the way as quickly as possible. So I show people the doorway to go through and being proactive to upgrading themselves. So the five levels that I created, as I'll walk them through that, in interacting with a horse through two pathways of communication. But as we collectively advance, the conversation between human and human pretty much goes away. So for instance, so a level five guy will come here and they've gotten to level five in probably less than a month and less than 10 hours of communicating with a horse. We may say, 15, 20 sentences back and forth in three hours. So what happens is I try to throw them into a feedback loop of that horse to where they have to totally go into a focus with the horse and themselves and then back to the horse and themselves. So this feedback loop is circular. If I'm talking or another psychologist is talking or another volunteer is talking, it interrupts that feedback loop. It can't be as organic or as pure if there's outside influences. Because what happened in the cancer camp, we'd have six to 10 volunteers and everybody has an opinion and everybody has a perspective and it, it starts to get distorted. The feedback loop gets distorted and it's not, it can't flow as circular as you'd like it to. I mean, even if I say something in a therapeutic session with one of my participants, I just divided their attention from the horse and from the engaging in that feedback loop. So very cautious of even talking. It's great to talk and communicate in the beginning to get the understanding and open these doors and show where to go and how to do it. But as they get advanced and come out here, there's very little conversation, very little human interruption. So to see 
when I say witness, I literally just witness. I watch. I'm not a therapist. I don't try to take that kind of a role. Now, I engage with psychologists to set up things that they can see and they can be involved with and interact with at the right timing. But in order for a person and a horse to truly go through those two pathways of communication and exchange energy in that circular feedback loop, it has to be no interruption. So just to clarify, we have programs around in America that you have to, you know, by the rules of whoever, you have to be licensed and whatnot. Mm-hmm. We we had to run into anything like that because my therapists are horses. That's really interesting that you explained about just being quiet and allowing the horse and the person to just communicate. Because a lot of the communicating is nonverbal. It's the, the intent and the energy that flows between them. So if you interrupt them, then you're stopping that flow. And to explain that to people that want to know what's happening. The unseen energy, what's happening. So I understand that. But for somebody that's just interested in it and they want to ask questions. So if, if I was working with a horse and I'm listening and, and seeing what I'm getting and then they ask me some questions, I'll often say, I'll speak to you in a minute, but I just need to be quiet now. It's not that nothing's happening. It's just there's a nonverbal communication going on. And that's what you've just explained. But you have to explain that to people because they're not aware of it. They might be looking but not seeing. Am I making sense? Sure. The internal pathway of communication, the unseen energy that's transferred between horse and human. Give it to you an example. If once a person starts to interact through the internal pathway of communication, the breathing is going to sync up. So a person that's short breathing, short breath, they have restriction in their mind based on trauma or stress, they have confusion or anxiety, all these labels, depression, anger, whatever it is, it's restriction of the mind, Mm. causing tension in their body. So whenever they present themselves to a horse and they, they, they get their, they consciously get their mind on the horse in this moment, they're not dwelling on the past, worrying about the future. They're thinking about right here, right now presenting themselves to this horse, their thoughts, their emotions, their attitude, and their action. Thoughts and emotions are the internal pathway of communication. Not that the horse, I explain it this way, not that that horse is reading your mind, in, in which cases I know that they can, but to explain it to people, they're not reading your mind, they just read your energy. Your, your energy has shifted, and they pick up on that. And as you collectively engage with them, they start to get a muscle memory or a thought memory of your energy when your thought is in the moment. So that way, when it goes away, when you start thinking about something else, whether it's past or future, or you, you are thinking about right this second, but something else, you're here now, but you're thinking about something else. You actually aren't here now. If your mind is going somewhere else, that force picks up on it. It's an unbanned second. It happens faster than I can explain that it's happening. Whenever a person will consciously bring that thought or emotion into this moment and 
undivide their attention toward the horse and collectively do that over time, that feedback loop starts to get established. So when the feedback loop is distorted, you know, egg-shaped, not circular, or it's just distorted, fuzzy, and not really continual, the horse picks up all that. So breathing, that horse is taking notes just as much as we're taking notes. Every interaction, the horse takes notes on the person they're interacting with, internal pathway, external pathway. As the horse realizes collectively over time, I mean, even in a short two to three hour session, that horse is paying very close attention, especially in Mustang. They analyze things life and death. They're very serious about survival. So they, they're acutely aware of everything around them, especially the person. Once they start to get that muscle memory, the thought pattern understanding, any significant or subtle changes in that, they take notes of it. So they start to learn and develop a deeper understanding of that human that is interacting with them. The most thing's really powerful in the way that when a person has high anxiety and then they try to balance and come centered and they consciously breathe and they consciously relax and they consciously present that to the horse, the horse pays attention to that. So when they start to go off center and get anxiety, that horse makes a change in a nanosecond. And then the person can see the change and then the person can bring themselves back. So collectively over time, they get better and better at doing that. And that's just one little brief example of what's happening. There's a myriad of things that are happening. But to give you the understanding of how a person could understand is the unseen communication. When a horse will take a deep breath and relax, they have just reduced restriction in their mind. And they have released tension in their body. I show a person, you should do that too. When they do that, you do that. And when you do that with them, there is just some information that is transferred internally through each of you in that feedback loop. And that's about as close as I could give you of an understanding of the unseen information that transfers. Because as that session continues to go on and collectively over time, you can actually trigger that yourself person can take a deep breath and then the horse will take a deep breath but the person is consciously being aware that their thoughts and emotions attitude and action are under their control now they can control their thoughts their emotions their attitude and their actions thoughts and emotions are the internal attitude and action are the external ways of communicating horses pick up on that very well if we could control those four things and master them, then we could communicate with a horse instantaneous. I mean, a horse is ready and willing and available to, to communicate that way. They understand when a person is in alignment. But the beautiful thing about horses is they understand when you're not and they can help you get there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely, definitely. That was really interesting and that was explained really, really well. Thank you for that. Thank you. So, one of your horses, beautiful horse called Moonshine, that you used to have. Can I ask how you met and and your relationship together? Yeah, very fond of the memories of that horse. We uh, we met had a Mustang makeover in uh, 2013, and uh, I adopted him after the event. 
And actually, my wife wanted it. So she adopted him and brought him home. And I really wasn't drawn to that horse in the beginning. So I didn't really want to have much to do with him. I already had a horse. I kind of just put him to pasture. My son rode him for a while, but my son didn't get him all. Kept dumping my son, you know, he'd bolt off real fast and just leave him on the ground. I just noticed it a few times that it happened and didn't pay too much attention to it. You know, kids, they're going to do stuff. And, you know, I try to correct them, but I'm, I'm the dad. Well, Moonshine had developed an issue, we'll call it. I'd go out to catch another horse and he would just take off running from me and jump out of the pasture, go off into natural forest. So I'd have to go catch him and bring him back. About the fourth time of that, I thought, you know what? You're getting out of hand because nobody's even trying to catch you. You're just running off. I don't know if he's doing it for fun. Now that I look back on it, it's probably for attention. <laughs> it, it was getting kind of an annoyance, you know, running a trail ride business. I'm going to catch five or six horses to go do the trail ride. Moonshine runs and jumps out of the pasture, and I got to go deal with that. It, it, it developed into, well, I'm going to take this horse to a different location and expose them to people. So I had lots of clients coming in every week, and I just explained to them, take these carrots, put them in this bucket, feed that horse, pet all over him. Just show him that humans are great. He doesn't need to run off and jump out of the pasture. And I was just extremely busy in those days to where I couldn't be the one to do it. So I did that for about two to three months, and it worked. He liked people. You know, he didn't want to run from everybody. So back in the pasture, just didn't, didn't have time to go into his training or anything. And I had a friend looking for a Mustang and she asked if thought I'd be willing to sell moonshine. I'd asked for it by name. She knew that I had had. I said, no, I don't really sell horses. But on second thought, maybe I'd sell that one. I said, I'm not going to feel comfortable selling this horse to you unless I put 30 days or something on him some sort of time interaction. She agreed. So I started down the path of 30 days of training, we'll call it. But two weeks in, I realized that I was getting ready to sell one of the best things that ever happened to me. And probably the most important piece to my whole horsemanship adventure. So I was trying to find a way to, to tell her he's not for sale. When the phone rang and she said, hey, some things changed with the boarding facility. I'm not going to be able to bond in. So I hung up the phone and, and well, no big deal. In developing this relationship with Moonshine, I realized that he was the one force I needed that taught me the most about myself. And we were just pretty much identical together horse human just identical i i got to invest a lot of time with him and we became my best friends you know horse human relationship best friend and uh, again he taught me the most about myself but one of the neat things is he prepared me for the horse that i have now sunshine moonshine was one of those he was a very deep teacher just had a lot of depth to him and uh, kind of one of those horses that was just not going to give up and trying to teach it to me. As far as headed as I would 
be or was, he was taught he would just keep keep trying to teach, keep trying to teach. And well, one day I got it, and I got off of his back, and I sat down on the ground, and I just stared at him. If he could have talked, he would have looked over me and he said, that's when I've been trying to tell you this whole time. And man, it was, it was liberating, but it was also a great sense of responsibility that it gave me to keep going. Mm. I'm just picking up on his energy because when you talk about him, his energy comes around. He's quite a strong character. He's his, his own person or his own horse. <laughs> if he was a person, he'd be his own person. And he'll... Compromise is not a word that I'm getting with him, but he would meet you halfway, but you've got to work for that other half. Yeah. And that's the feeling that he's given me now. And yeah, very much still around. And then it brings us on to Sunshine, who's obviously he's very different. How do you, did you come about getting Sunshine? Well, I took Moonshine on a fall trail ride. Crested Buke, and I'll try to shorten the story, but that was kind of a, a climax of Moonshine and I's relationship to where I rode in Bridalist eight miles up a trail to a high mountain lake. And uh, it's the first experience I ever got to have with a horse where it was just mind to mind. It was the only, the, the only way of communicating in that eight miles was through the internal pathway thought energy and in doing that i had some other people witness it and they were so amazed that they were trying to tell me about another horse that i wouldn't listen i explained to them i'm not interested in another horse i have the horse that i need and i don't want another project i don't even want to hear it so i was that shove off you know just shove off this was like in September or October time frame. As time went on, I was a featured clinician at Rocky Mountain Horse Expo in Denver for five years. And I was preparing Moonshine to do this show in February. And I had a health certificate done on April and Thursday, and he died on Sunday. So that was about two weeks before we were supposed to show in, in March at the expo. So I didn't have a horse. I had one in training. He only had 40 days on him. He was a little Mustang out of Colorado, too. He wasn't my horse. He was a horse to rescue hat. And I was training him so he could get adopted. So with 40 days of training on that Mustang, I showed him in front of 4,000 people, but I just put a chicken suit on and rode around, had a good time. Yeah, I, I think I saw that video. Yeah, I did. I was pretty torn up when Moonshine passed away, and I found relief in laughter, so that's why I did that. I just wanted to make people laugh. I rode this little 40-day horse. I didn't care what he did. We just had a good time. But the people that helped me put on that show, they were support team. And uh, I had had a vision of a Palomino Mustang keep coming into my mind, and I didn't understand it. And I told one of my friends about it, and he just kind of encouraged to go with it. And he confided in another friend that had saw what Moonshine and I did on that trail that day. She said, uh, 
the horse I was trying to tell Justin about is a Palomina. Well, I said, well, get her to send me a picture of that horse. And when he sent me the picture of the horse, I almost crashed my truck because that's the vision that I'd seen. I ended up going down, called the owner, and I asked her about him. She said, well, he's been wild for eight years. No one's touched him in the last two years. Two years ago when they tried, it ended horribly. So it was kind of music to my ears because uh, I really, I always go into horsemanship with a horse, the relationship with a horse. And I look at it as what can I learn? What can this horse teach me to be better for the next horse? And if no one's been able to deal with this horse, I want to know why. So I went there, and when I saw Sunshine, I just went and jumped into this pen with him. And we did some circles together, and uh, probably about a few minutes of that, got close enough to him, and he grabbed me, and he just compressed me to his body like a hug. And I got kind of emotional. A very emotional day for me. I bet it was. So I brought him home. And eight days later, I was riding him in the mountains by ourselves. And a lot of beautiful things have happened since then. But that sunshine kind of revealed to me that if I hadn't that moonshine, I probably wouldn't have been able to engage with a horse like him. See, they're not going to give those gifts. It's someone who's not worthy to receive them. And uh, I just feel blessed that I was worthy to receive them. Well, I think it's a mutual thing. Moonshine, definitely. So, you know, I, I've explained what I do. I'm picking up now, and he definitely had your number. <laughs> uh, Moonshine definitely had your number. And his energy is... is very proud and very strong. He wouldn't suffer fools gladly, but he gave his heart. And that's what he's showing me now, that once he gave you his heart, that would be it. There'd be no going back. He would, t- he would still test. He's saying he would still test. So when I say he's saying to me, that's what I'm picking up intuitively, that he would still test. And certain people, he would see if they were worthy too. So it's certain people in your group, your network, he would play around with them. There's a bit of mischievousness there. Sunshine is different. And I mean, you've just said that anyway, but he felt like he was a, a shut off. And he needs somebody to connect with his heart. And that hug that you said that he gave you, it was not like, help me, but it was, it's here. It's, it's here, but it's hidden, it's deep, it's here sort of thing. And sometimes it's hard to put into words what I'm picking up because it's not always a word form. It's a, a deep feeling, if that makes sense to you, Justin. Yeah, sunshine's an impact. I realized it very early on. And we did a program for children that were at risk of suicide from an Indian reservation in New Mexico. And uh, I could barely get my hands on sunshine at the time. You know, I could do it, but it was on his terms. So 
with these children, he would let them do whatever they want. And uh, I had ne- noticed that. But then the more people that I would introduce to Sunshine, the more I realized, man, this guy reads emotion on the highest level I've ever seen. So in some like therapeutic sessions that we do, a person comes in here with deep trauma, deep depression, deep anxiety, whatever, I will ask Sunshine to help me with them. So basically the worst cases that come through my gate, Sunshine is the one that that connects. Gets them uh, through that door quickly. And to watch that horse do that, I can't explain what it's like to see it. Other than there's a term they call bliss. And uh, it throws me into that. When you feel that as well, that's something that's hard to explain. Like you said, when you see um, the veterans or the children working with horses, you don't speak because you see the interaction. You see what's going on. But you also feel that energy change. You also feel it too. Sometimes when I'm going to see a client and I'm sort of passing on information that I pick up and also picking up on the energy, sometimes I'm not really saying a great deal. And, and often I'll go to a horse and it's not what I say. It's what they're feeling. And it can be very few words. And I think, oh, I'm not doing enough. I'm not saying enough because they're watching me. And then I'll sort of say what I need to say. And they go, no, no, it's fine. We can see. I can see what's happening. But there's an interpretation that you think that you have to explain, you have to say. But actually, they can feel that too. People around you can feel and sense that and they, and they can see it as well. Sometimes I think they feel it first. And they're looking to find verification of what they're feeling. And then they get it. Sometimes the tears flow. And as the horse is breathing out, they go, Phew. What I've found is it happens faster than you could say it. And sometimes it happens faster than you can think it. You know, someone will start crying. And, and then they'll look up to me and say, I don't know why they have crying. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. Your body's doing it. Let it do it. Yeah. Sometimes they'll just start giggling uncontrollably. And then they'll look to me for, for an explanation. And I, I shrug my shoulders and say, don't worry about it. Just go with it. Uh, it happens faster sometimes than, than you're allowed to understand it. And the releases that come that are visual, People want a justification for them sometimes, but it's not necessary. You don't have to have a justification as to why you cry when you, the day you play with a horse. And then five days later, you, you're laughing. And five days later, you're just at peace. I mean, there's, it doesn't even have to be explained. It's felt. Feelings that a person feels sometimes are never felt in their entire life until they interact with a horse. Sometimes they're from the past experience or childhood, you know, they, they feel the same way as they did when they were a child. Sometimes they'll, they'll put a time on it. They'll tell me, I haven't, I have not laughed in 10 years. And I don't know how many people have come here and told me that they haven't been able to concentrate on one thing longer than 10 minutes and, and be able to do that in the first interaction with a horse. Total undivided concentration with a horse for sustaining 10 minutes 
And see, that's the thing is, well, that's going on. You can't ask them a question. You can't talk to them because so many things are happening. A myriad of things. The, the restrictions in the mind are getting, you know, freed up. Tension in the body is getting freed up. Heart rate is stabilizing with the horse's heart rate. Breathing, stabilizing with the horse's breathing. The second that an outside interruption comes in there, distorts that, takes away from it. So if, if a person can concentrate 10 solid minutes uninterrupted and gain this energy transfer and this feedback loop that I'm talking about, that's when the truest form of healing in horse and human can happen. So nanoseconds of things, 50,000 things are happening simultaneously in that 10-minute period that that run on a micro level. And you can't explain it as fast as it's happening, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. God, yeah. I think as, as humans, we, we like to have an explanation and we like to analyze and we like to think what happened there. But when you go with the flow, in fact, I find my horsework, which I'm sure it's just with you, it's, it's not just like your horsework and then your private life is separate. It all intermingles and it helps you with your day-to-day life. And for me, if I just go with the flow and always follow my gut, my intuition, and don't ask too many questions and think, okay, this is coming to my head. I'm just going to go with the flow. I have no idea why I'm doing this, but I'm just going to do it anyway. The more I do that, the more I can see where it's leading me. And I still find it fascinating. And it makes me more aware. Now, obviously, in the UK, there are people working still, obviously. But you're trying to get through the day. We're not overthinking about things. And you see a lot of information and, and people, they all have their opinion, as you said. And you try not to absorb this. You're listening to it, but you try not to absorb it. But after a while, it seeps in and then you notice that and you can feel the anxiety or you can feel there's a, a slight change. I've been doing my day-to-day stuff with my horse, but I'm not having as many moments as I have been doing. Plus, the weather's been really bad here. It's been wet and dark nights, but as it's getting lighter and you get to spend a bit more time, those moments are really important because it just grounds me, brings me back down to earth again. But I need to do more of those because I notice when I don't do it, if I do it quite frequently, it's part of the norm. It's when you don't do it. This is what I explain to my clients. You can go see your horse. You can visit your horse three times a day. You can do what you normally do. You feed your horse. You clean the stall out. You groom your horse. You can do all that, but it's not the same as just being there and just doing nothing. And when I explain that to them and just say, you know, best thing advice I can give is just take a flask of tea, go sit in the field, just just observe your horses, read a book so you're not focusing and you're relaxing and then just take a note of what's happening your horses are already communicating with you and they're listening and they might not be looking up because some people think oh my horse doesn't look up doesn't know I'm here and I'll say yeah they do know you're there (laughs) they're just waiting to see if you're paying attention because if you're not going to give them the time of day why would they give you it and it's that sort of thing and it's lovely when you get feedback because just from a few little tips that they say, yeah, I did that. But if you do it frequently, 
it, it becomes a norm, but you notice it more when you don't. You notice with your own psyche, you notice with your own stress levels and anxiety. And yeah, I don't know what I'd do without horses in my life. Yeah. Taught, they've taught me what I'm doing now. And it's an honor and a privilege to spend time with them. Um, yeah. Sorry, I went off on a tangent there. This is about you, not about me. Attention <laughs> goes, the energy flows. Yes. We've had a lot of downs, but I haven't paid much attention to that. Horses don't affect my inside anymore, much as they used to. And I owe that to horses. Yeah. Whenever you get the opportunity, and I'll just put it to mind, whenever I got the opportunity, to invest time with a once wild Mustang out in the mountains, separated from society. It gave me the understanding that outside influences don't need to affect the inside of us. We choose to take that information in and what we do with it once it's in matters. Give you a story one time with one of my oldest Mustangs, Whiskey. That's his name. They all come with alcoholic names. I don't even drink alcohol. Moonshine's a real alcoholic name. (laughs) Whiskey, he and I were were on a uh, five-day overnight pack trip. Five days, four nights overnight pack trip in the mountains. And I was doing a scouting scouting the land. I'd never been there. We went down into this deep ravine, deep, and there was flowing water in there, rushing water. And it was so steep, I got off of his back and I led down this thing. And if anybody knows me and has ridden with me in Colorado, I never get off. I'll ride anything, anywhere, it doesn't matter. But out of the care and concern of my own horse, I won't do anything that would, would hurt them. So this was steep, rocky, jagged ledges just going straight down into a canyon. And uh, we kind of got into it before we could get back out of it. So I had to keep going. And uh, a fear came over me based on these outside influence, you know, things that are going on. Their influences were in a place that we could get really hurt. What was going to find us? And the fear was that it hurt a horse and, and I couldn't get him out of there. So to get into this roaring water, I could jump over to this rock. No problem. I mean, it was like three, four foot away, but there wasn't much room on this rock. And my horse was going to have to go in this deep rushing water. And I'm feeling a panic come over me. Fear and a panic of, oh my gosh, I'm fixing to hurt a horse. This is fixing to be bad. And I had to climb up this other rock ledge that was about three feet, you know, probably about right here to my chest. I had to put my elbows and lift myself up and get up there. And my ring was as far as it could reach to the bank of where that water is. And my horse, I was asking him to please come through, but he was going to have to go through the water and go a different way. But with no concern on his body or his mind, he jumped onto the very same rock that I had just jumped on with all four of his legs. And I'm watching. I still have that leather rein in my hand. And then I'm standing up on that ledge that I just crawled up with with my shoulders. And that horse just launched right up there too. 
And they just looked at me like, yeah, hey, man, thanks for showing me the way. Wow. And I was like, that was the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. How did you even do that? And then we just walked up this other steep ravine to get out of there. You know, and then the explanation to this, it may be, oh, probably wasn't that steep, probably wasn't that bad. But I'm telling you, if anybody is watching this that's ridden horses with me, they know I'll ride the most extreme thing you can imagine. So when I explained to you that it was so steep, I wouldn't ride it. It's steep and it's dangerous and it's not a joke. And for that horse whiskey, just to have that wisdom and deep knowledge and confidence to do those things, it just shows you the outside of the influences can have an effect if you allow it to. And I could go on about hundreds of other stories to just back that up with horses, Mustang horses that I've been taught taught by. But these lockdowns and these politics and these opinions and all that, they're outside influences. We can choose to uh, absorb it and allow it to affect us in a way we don't want, or we can absorb it and pass it all through and sustain control of our thoughts and our emotions, our attitude and our actions. And whenever we don't get to engage with a horse, and I've explained it this way a lot of times, I feel sorry for people that don't get to practice with a horse because when we don't do it, when I don't get to do it, I do start letting outside influences affect the way I feel on the inside that I don't like. Yeah. So whenever a person comes through my gate and they want to engage in a therapeutic activity with one of my horses, it brings it back for me every single time. And I get to collectively learn and grow and develop with and from the horse to upgrade myself as a human and be better for other humans. Share with them the knowledge horses share with me and then to you know, the ones that get to come here actually experience it for themselves. Very special, very special. They're amazing creatures, amazing creatures. We have horse camps here where they go off for two or three days and they camp and they take the horses and they get to do things that they probably wouldn't get to do at home. So they do like cross country, they can have a go at show jumping, dressage, and just build the confidence. And I was asked, Quite a few years ago, it was actually a client and, and she says, would you like to, to attend a, a camp and to show them what you do? I was like, I'm not sure how that would go because she says, do like little taster sessions. And I was thinking, I don't know if that would work. You know, it's because at the time I was doing it, I, I had to focus, I had to sit there and I was thinking, what if I don't get anything? What are they going to think? I said, well, have a go. And she says, well, how about a 15 minutes per person? I went, oh my God, no, you know, 15 minutes, I can draw your breath. So she said, okay, 20 minutes. I said, well, do 20 minutes, but allow it to go over because if things are meant to come up, they're meant to come up and I'm not going to stop. So I drove there and I think I'd got eight horses booked in. And I was like, oh my goodness, how on earth is this going to work? I have no idea. And my heart was in my mouth. So I went to see the first one and I was thinking, right, here goes nothing. <laughs> and I walked in and I just started talking. And I explained a little bit about what I do and just said, right, this will be a condensed version, but whatever's meant to be talked about, you know, it will be talked about. As the camps went on, it was always relevant to what was going on on that day. 
and maybe a little bit more. And to my amazement, it it worked, but actually it worked pretty well because it was like boom, 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 one after another. And it, I was in the flow then. And it was actually easier to do it that way than to, to have one and then to stop and to have another because I didn't have a chance to get the nerves because it was just keep going. And quite often there would be a similar theme. I found myself talking to one person and then the next one would be slightly different and the next one would have a similar theme. And I'd be thinking, they probably think I'm just reading off some information, you know, the same sort of thing. I'm just saying the same thing. And then when I went to meet them for a coffee afterwards, they'd all be chatting and they'd be all excited about the day. The feedback was like, no, no, that was fine. That was actually what was going on. But each camp had a a similar theme. The horses seemed to have a similar thing going on. A similar Yeah, which was was quite bizarre. And then when you talked to the trainers that they were having interactions with, they would have a similar thing from their perspective. And then sometimes as they got to know me, they'd say, can you just come and have a chat with this horse and see what you're getting? And then I'd relate back to the owner. But I I loved it. And that was one of the best training grounds for me because I thought if I can do that, just go in there and do that, then this is what I'm meant to be doing because otherwise it it would not flow. It would not flow. And I didn't have time to allow my head to get in the way. Sometimes it would be quite funny because people would have a blunt face and they'd be looking at you and I'd I'd be thinking, okay, this is not going well. (laughs) And, And I'd be going, just... Does that make sense to you? And they'd go, <laughs> but they were just like, they just didn't know what to say. And I was going, okay. So then I'd interact a little bit more and, and got them to say back to me what they thought I'd said to see if it was clear. But I loved it. I, I absolutely loved it. And it was the best, best training for me. You know, that's like testing into the fire. If you stand the fire, then, you know, you're good. You, it lasts. Confidence builders I got one time was I never considered myself a clinician, never wanted to be one, never went to get training to be one. But I was asked to assist one one time in New Mexico. And I thought, yeah, that'd be kind of fun. Pretty confident in my horsemanship that I could share it with other people. And uh, I guess a little bit of an ego back then, I really didn't care what other people thought anyways. I would just go and do what I do. And if they didn't want it, they didn't have to take it. It kind of was a headstrong in that area where I'm just going to serve the horse first and everything else is secondary. And in agreeing to be a wingman, we'll call it, to another clinician, I I figured, well, he's going to be doing all the the heavy lifting, I'm just there to support anyway. So yeah, let's do it. Well, two weeks before this guy breaks his arm, falling off a horse. And uh, the event coordinator called and said, uh, you're the one you're going to be doing the clinic. <laughs> so, okay. She says, uh, the other clinician generally wants gentle horses to come in and he can demonstrate what he does with them. And I'm a wild horse trainer, so I thought, well, why don't we have some horses that that need help with something, you know, that have a problem? Let's get those kind of horses. She said, okay. So I show up to this event thinking it's just going to be small, little town of Chama, New Mexico. To my surprise, 
it was like 2,000 people. <laughs> Split it up in the center of town, and it's it's during a, a big event called Territorial Days where they advertise it in major magazines, and all these people ascend upon this town the two days that we were doing the clinic, and we're set up right in the center of town with a loudspeaker off of my mic that goes through the entire town, whether they're watching or not. They hear the clinic. It got so big. And so the first day, I should should say, they brought in a, a string of horses that none of them had halters. They backed up a stock trailer to a round pin that joined my round pin. And they just opened the gate and let about 12 horses run around. And I was so young and new at it, I didn't really recognize that, wow, that should have probably been a red flag. One of these horses have halters on. Boy, I guess just being young and naive, I didn't know. So I asked them to bring in the first horse. Boy, moving around and create draw, put a halter on him, played with him, got up on his back, rode him around in a lead rope and halter, sent that one away. Next, to, after about the third horse, fourth horse, the crowd had swelled pretty big. It was in RVs and people on their lawn chairs. is like NASCAR. You know, they're up on their RVs and their lawn chairs watching. The cars are lined up. The people are lined up. It, it, it's big. And I remember thinking, wow, this is kind of intimidating. I, I did not realize there was going to be this many people in there everywhere. Everywhere I look, there's people just standing. And most of them spoke Spanish around that are real close. I couldn't understand what they were saying. Well, after about the fourth horse, I was just starting the fifth horse. And a guy said, do you understand what they're saying? The people? I said, no. He said, they're amazed at what you're doing because this guy just brought you wild horses. They've never been touched. They've been out of pasture their whole life. And they're, they're wild. And I thought, wow, would I have done anything different had knowing that? Probably not. But it was the same issue with every horse. They just needed to be invited into the human element properly. And I was presenting correctly to where they were willing to do it. No pain, no fear. Asking the horses to allow me to do the things that they were doing with me. So riding them around on bareback with lead rope and halter in front of a big crowd, they were totally fine with. So uh, I got labeled as the best horse trainer in the world. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those things where our own artificial barriers will get in the way and worrying about what other people think. Whenever you let that go, and just present your purest self to the horse. That horse is so brilliant and so special that they make up where we fall short and give us confidence to continue going. They know, they kind of know what we need as we need it. And they step up willing and available if we ask properly, if, if our motives are, are pure. And mine was just I wanted to learn from the horse to help the next horse. Just show me what I need to know so I can help the next guy. And then you're just ready, willing, and available to do that. Every single horse. I've, I've got 
privilege to fly all over the United States, all many different states, play with many different forces. I'm just overwhelmed at the notion or the idea that I haven't come into contact with a horse that I could communicate with. It's a gift, and it's a gift that I don't take for granted. Because I know horses can adapt to many different people, but people can't adapt to many different horses. The artificial barriers within us will not allow, will not allow. You have such nice energy, though, Justin. I was looking for something and you popped up, and I'm a great believer that things come along for a reason. And it might lead somewhere, it might not, or it might be just a, a trigger, it might be like a light bulb moment or or something that you see in them, there's a, maybe a slight something inside you. And you have such a nice energy about you, a nice soft energy, which animals, horses especially, are so sensitive that they know you're authentic and you're working from the heart. That's what I want to say, that you work from the heart. And I had, he's a friend now, but he came over from uh, America and he works with horses, but he was looking to do some work in the UK. And I think it was a lady had met him on, it was on a ranch holiday. And she says, you should come over to the UK and do some work. So she organized a trip and he came over and I was desperate to have somebody to help me with my horse because I could do so much myself, but my confidence, it was just gone as far as to get on her. And I wanted to just sit on my horse. And to me, to sit on a horse is a privilege and it's such a, an awesome and just an amazing feeling. Even for a few seconds, to me, it's like, I've won the lottery. I don't care if I'm not walking around. I'm just sat on my horse. And that's like gold does to me. And my issue, which I knew deep down wasn't necessarily to do with horse-related, something was stopping me progressing. And that's where the horsework comes in to help you with your day-to-day life because it stops you progressing in other areas too. Anyway, he came over, but before then we was corresponding. And I could just tell he was just a genuine guy. He says, you know, he says, don't beat yourself up. We'll get you there. Don't you worry. I said, okay. So he came and I just knew from seeing him that his energy was so genuine. And the horses that he met and, and Toots, my mare, he, he had to work for it. He was new. I think like you said about when you was younger, he said, I think my energy was a bit high. I think I was trying to prove something because obviously I'm new here. He says, so once I drop my energy, she's like, okay, I'll work with you now. Animals and especially horses, they see that from miles away. They see it before you get there. And I saw that when I saw you working, I thought that's, that's a genuine from the heart. Yes, you know your stuff, but it, you can know your stuff. And if you're not working from here doesn't always make a difference. And especially now, people see through that. People see who's genuine and who's not. I don't know why I started talking about that, but I have. And <laughs> it circles back to the in, internal pathway of communication. And horses, they're picking up on that probably more than they're picking up on the external. Yeah. When you're in that moment and you're in that flow, it's as clear as day. Sometimes when I walk away from that, and it's then when I question, not so much now, what if I didn't get that right? What if my head took over? I used to not sleep at night because I was like paranoid that I'd given the wrong information. I really would. And then I would contact saying, is everything okay? Did, was that clear? Did I make it clear enough? And they was like, yeah, yeah. Because my interpretation or my, my perspective or what I think happened can be slightly different for them. But 
they still get the message because it's the energy that is communicating between them. So they've got it anyway, but I am thinking I've not done enough. But when I'm in it, when it's flowing, it just flows and I don't question. It's when I come out of it, I question sometimes, but not so much now. <laughs> that when you experience it, that's, that's a normal thing to do, especially when you care. Yeah, yeah, definitely. This is just flying by for me. How do horses help people overcome alcoholism? How does that work? Well, from what I understand, is that people will get into a, a repetitive thought pattern. And sometimes they don't appreciate that thought pattern. For, for example, maybe they've gone through a traumatic experience. And there's a myriad of those that we could choose from, but just say a traumatic experience. And it starts out with a little thought one day about that traumatic experience, the emotion that comes from that thought and the attitude and the action. And then the next day it's a little more. And then they start to get into a repetitive thought pattern and they can't control it. They're like, I don't like the way that thought makes me feel, I don't like my attitude from it, and I definitely don't like this action from it. When a person gets into that repetitive thought pattern, repetitive emotion, and attitude, and then the action, they want to suppress it, change it, or stop it all to get. Worst case scenario is suicide. You'll call it a death spiral where they just can't stop thinking about that intense thought that causes the intense emotion, that causes their attitude, that causes their action to not be what they want. So they'll turn to alcohol and it'll cause a gap in that thought, repetitive thought pattern. It causes a suppression of it. It, it, it gives them a sense of release from it. You know, and I know, and anybody with any intellect that knows about alcohol, you got to keep doing it. You got to do more of it. And then the peripheral damage from that far exceeds the initial thought pattern that they were trying to avoid. So now they've got alcoholism and they got this thought pattern of their mess. Horses will bring a gap into that whole vicious, repetitive pat. So what I've seen some of the guys tell me and what I've done for my own self, like I said earlier, I haven't drank a drop of alcohol in almost 20 years. But I've been playing with horses for 20 years. Anytime a thought starts to come about on a person that they don't want, especially if that thought causes an emotion that they don't want, and then the attitude that they don't want, and then the actions that they don't want. They've got to bring that into consciousness. And in interacting with a horse, they can realize, I can get the same gap in this repetitive thought pattern as I did with alcohol or drugs or whatever. But this has residuals that are give me peripheral benefits as opposed to a drug or alcohol that gives me peripheral damage. 
in those peripheral benefits, they'll start to sleep better. They'll start to be able to trigger body responses of relaxation within themselves. They'll be able to gain control of the thought rather than being under the control of the thought. When they're in control of the thought and emotion and their attitude and their action, they have the power to say, I'm not going to go drink. I'm going to go play with a horse. Or I'm going to take my mind into something where I control. And then I'm going to change the emotion that I want. And some people ask me, well, what do you do when you want to change your thought? The most powerful way that I've found is if I can't be with a horse. See, every time I walk up to a horse, an overwhelming sense of gratitude comes over me. I'm so thankful that I'm in the presence of a horse. I'm so thankful that our creator created the horse and allowed me to be in the presence. The gratitude overwhelms, overrides any other thought that ever come in. The emotion that comes from being thankful that I have that horse is relaxation, is calming, is peace. The attitude is good and uplifting, energetic almost. And then my action is positive. It's what I want. The action is continue to go with the horse, to continue to be with the horse, to continue to upgrade myself, be better, increase my ability to see and hear and think and taste and touch. If a person realizes that's what's going on, they're not going to that alcohol. And many of the people that have come here, they say that. They say, used to, I didn't have the power to, to choose, to make a choice. There wasn't any other information to make a different choice. So I, I would go back to the alcohol. And they're almost powerless to it in that regard. Not that they're powerless to the actual 12-ounce can of beer or whatever. They're powerless to the thoughts that they can't cause a gap in them in any other way. Horses are so powerful in the ability to cause a gap in those repetitive thought patterns that a person doesn't want, that they would be able to replace, gain control or replace that thought so it doesn't get repetitive in a negative sense. The thoughts that they'll have and be able to call upon are from the horse. They, they sleep better. They can relax, they can laugh, they can cry, they can have a human characteristics and understand it's natural, not suppressal, not try to take synthetics that man made to suppress them. So that's the nutshell answer to that question. That's fascinating. I could go uh, quite a lot deep into that one. My own mare's out of the line. She tells me, and especially the more time I spend with this, I, I find more so in summer when you've got more daylight hours and, and you can spend more time after work. I'd go sit until it gets dark and just sit with her or do something, but mainly sit with her and, and watch her. I love watching them and watching them grazing. And there's nothing so relaxing as munching on hay. It's just such a just a nice sound. It's so therapeutic on its own. But if I'm feeling a bit off and I'm wanting to interact with her and I hug or something, because we can't hug anybody at the minute, 
And she's, she's like, sod off, sort yourself out first before you come near me. And I'm like, oh God, I know. So I have to go back in and reflect and think, right, apart from the day-to-day stuff, what am I not dealing with? It goes beyond that, but she really tells me and I have to address things. And if there's something going on with her, there's something that's happening there that's happening with me. It's not an exact mirror, but there's there's something that I can see. Obvious change causes us to recognize what are we presenting? Where have my thoughts been to cause my my body to posture this way that the horse picked up on. Am I walking and hitting the ground harder as I'm coming at him? More forward and down? Are my eyes down? Are my eyes on? You know, what are we presenting to the world? Physically and mentally, where are we? Mustang commands that you be aware of that. If you are not aware of that, they are going to give you feedback. And you will see that you're not aware of that. <laughs> I remember one day, it was a nice day and I was going to have a play, I was going to do some things, but I had to sort something out in a paddock. And then the phone went as I was talking to a friend and then I was doing something else. And she was, she was eating the grass, but she was watching me and I could tell she was saying, are you ready? Are you coming? You know, are we doing this? Are you coming? So she carried on doing what she was doing. Then everything finished. I thought, right, I'm ready now to. I walked up to her and she almost said, uh-uh, I've been waiting here for 20 minutes. If you think you want to play now, and off she walks. And I just burst out laughing because I knew that was, she didn't say that to me, but that's what she was feeling. You didn't give me the attention, so don't expect me to do it now. But I just burst out laughing because I just got it. And I just thought, yep, that's my fault. And I love those moments. You know, I love those moments. You know, Justin, this has been really, really nice. Thank you so much for chatting. I could chat for hours. Is there anything that you'd want to add? Just thank you for, I do apologize that it's taken some long, you know, transitioning from Colorado to North Carolina. I try to build infrastructure. It just didn't happen. I was going to be in the office all day today. So glad that I could join you. No, it's fine. I know when I came out to the States, we tried to meet up, but we had the snow in the mountains and I got to meet Carol um, and Boss. Can you, unfortunately, he's no longer here now, Boss, but I, I got to meet him, which was really nice. I went on an impromptu visit. I was um, staying at Happy Dog Ranch. So I drove up and we ended up doing a session, which was really, really nice. It was just so nice because I met Carol through the group that you had and I got to meet her Mustang and he was a lovely, lovely boy. Thank you so, so much. It's been a pleasure and I'm just glad we got around to chatting. It would be nice to do this again when you're actually working with your horses. That would be lovely if you want to do that sometime. Yeah. Um, okay. We'll try and do that. Thank you very much. It was so nice to chat to him. He comes across a really, really genuine, nice guy. And I hope that came across to you. So thank you very much. If you want to get hold of Justin, you can go to his page, Justin Dunn Horsemanship, American Mustang School. So take care, everybody. Thank you very much. And I hope you enjoyed this interview. Take care and bye for now. You've been listening to Ronnie King at Equine Voices. Thank you for listening and speak to you soon.